Welcome, but I'm not endorsing the squeaky chair. So oh, the we squeaky need to start over. We need is, to start over. The, no, the squeaky like, chair is a is a character in our play this afternoon. It, well, is the play recreation of Psycho where you're the skeleton in the rocking chair? That's, oh, maybe. Did that one squeak? I, n no, but it's giving me that vibe. Well, we can totally it's giving get rid me of that, that squeaky. I think we can get rid of that squeaky chair. I'm going to get you another chair. That's okay. Well, here we are. We're a critical thing for everyone. We're having some small technical difficulties we're just trying to bring you into the behind the scenes you know how the sausage is made as it were and we hope you're enjoying it my name is brian barnes i am the man with the squeaky chair i'm patty payette and i'm the one the squeaky chair gets the attention well well, you gave it attention. Yeah, you were the attention giver to the squeaky yeah. chair, and the squeaky chair is now relegated to another part of this lab at Bellarmine University where we have squatted. We're on location at Bellarmine University. Yeah, yeah totally unauthorized, but yeah, you know. that's okay. We are um, have critical thinking brains. We'll travel. Mm. Um, I am really happy to be here, and happy that we have some fresh, juicy content. Excited to unpack it with you. Here we go. We're going to unpack. We're going to do it right in front of you. Talk about making stuff explicit. Here's all of our stuff in our case. Yes. Well, not all of it. Well, this is where we need some sound effects. Oh, uh, yeah. Where's that squeaky chair? <laughs> yeah. These, Unpacking the thing. These are, that's nice. That was, those were the latches. Latches, yeah. yeah. So, um, first we need to say that this show is all about making those pesky, uh, academic-sounding, critical-thinking tools and concepts accessible and exciting for everyday use. Yeah, it's not for everybody if people can't understand what we're talking about. So we're trying to bring this stuff out of... You know, we're trying to take a little bit of responsibility for unpacking stuff, for making it really plain, really ordinary language, as opposed to what you do in university environments where Petty and I do a lot of our, um, you know, we spend a lot of our professional time, where you expect that people will take some responsibility for their own learning. You're driving right now, I assume, or um, doing something else just with this on in the background as opposed to studying it for a test. So chances are you're not really in a position to do research even if you want to. But if you want to follow up on this stuff, we always post whatever we did at Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. Yeah, I I think it's overstating to say we always do, but we try to. <laughs> we often we try to. We often do. We try we to be succeed. good about that. Yeah. But but you know the point is is that we want to make these tools exciting and as I said accessible because yeah. as Brian said, it's not critical thinking for nerdy academics. It's supposed to be critical thinking for everyone. And that includes you, listener. Yeah, and it's okay. And if you're a nerdy academic, there's stuff here for you, too. I mean, the, the rabbit hole goes pretty far down, you know. <laughs> but uh, you don't, you know, we don't have to get it all in the first pass. It could just be the case that some people haven't thought very much about uh, one part of their thinking, which might come up during the show. Yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe. So one of the things I love about this show is when we also demonstrate 
our foibles as thinkers, our successes and our foibles. Yeah, I think our foibles are probably the more attractive. Yeah, more in way yeah, more interesting. For sure. So, so today our topic is biases. Oh, biases. Don't don't turn the dial. I said biases and then you said biases. I did. Biases? I thought it was plural of, is biases, isn't it? Is that how you say it? Is it is it a potato potato issue? Maybe. Here? I mean, you'd Maybe. spell it the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. the same. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, biases. I just like biases. I think that's that. fine. You like biases. <laughs> just so this whole thing is, who's on first? <laughs> so um, I know, don't, please don't turn the tile because this is really interesting stuff. And um, uh, even if we have to tell you it is, even so if, yeah, we trust will us. keep telling you it's interesting. Trust us. You'll eventually come around. So what got yeah. me interested in doing this is we got the newsletter. We Helen Boyd. <laughs> yes. Hi, Helen Boyd. Um, from the Reboot Foundation, which is a European-based foundation that fosters, researches, and publishes, uh, advocates for critical thinking. Advocates for critical thinking. In their own way, just the way we do in our, our corner of the world over here. Different corner. Dif total, yeah, different yeah. corners, but yeah. but we're really interested in what Reboot has to say. Sure. And so the the email newsletter came. Did you act, do you actually, re, by the way, do you actually read email newsletters in your inbox? Do I? I do, do read you? some of them. Do you? I, I have to constantly call, you mm -hmm. know, because mm -hmm. the email newsletters are, they're vast, right? And they come from all sorts of sources. And sometimes they are Deeper dives into some other, sometimes, sometimes it's an anthology of other, sometimes it's a chronology, sometimes it, I mean, it is just bananas. So I do <laughs> look at them. You know how I read them? Yeah. Do skim? You, do you do that well, techno skim well, thing? Well, uh, no, not really. I don't do that very much. What I will do is it, I treat them very much like back in the day. My f grandparents, you yeah. know, they would get magazines. In the mail, yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah, when, when back everybody, in the day when people used to get magazines Yeah, everybody had, mail. yeah, a lot of people had like a dozen magazines <laughs> just around their house. They'd get these subscriptions. Yeah. And they'd be sitting in places, you yeah. know, where you might be for a while. And so you kind of flip yeah. through yeah, like it every which, once which in a while. Which magazines is your grandparents uh by the oh way, my gosh. which there ones? Were, there which were ones? fashion magazines really? for the one set of grandparents. Yeah. Well, okay, for the... For, for Roy and Phyllis. Yeah. Yeah, they did the... And the architecture magazines and the fashion magazines. Yeah. Artsy, kind of artsy. Yeah, artsy. and for my other grandparents who lived on a farm, it yeah. was like good housekeeping and the Reader's Digest stuff. Oh, the Reader's Digest. Digest, yeah. people man. get people in their summer. Oh, really? They got sure. people, which sure. is the periodical equivalent of Twinkies. <laughs> Delicious. Like, like you consume it and then say, "What did I just? What? What? I remember. Like it's like gone, and you're just like, "What did I just?" People last magazine reading. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's a really self-reflective way to look at it. When I was a kid, looking at People magazine, it actually became a gateway drug to celebrity rags. Yeah, for sure. To really? um, yeah, so I'd look at the at the um, the ones for the music, the contemporary music scene, like like the heavy metal magazines really? and stuff. Or I'd look at the <laughs> yeah, or I'd look at like the I guess I looked at the bodybuilding magazines maybe. Right. But it drew me to the the same kind of fo dare I say photojournalism. I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> uh, but whatever they have there, um, that same kind of very popular media. 
you know, yeah. is on all of these other even like more shallow and specialized documents, right? And so I I remember I remember just sort of they were all kind of an uh, they had a similar look, and so I just kind of moved from this one to this one yeah. to this one. There, yeah, there was like a visual that would like draw you in. And yeah, you would sort of. And some things clearly didn't have that. Like those, <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, that's something different. That's not that's not where I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable here with these glossy, you know, high light, you know, a lot of pow, you know, sort of periodicals. Wow, interesting. Yeah. yeah. When you said, when we were talking about this, when you mentioned Reader's Digest, yeah. that left a big impression on me. Like, there's something missing here. Well, <laughs> now, like, okay, so uh, so I was a candy striper. Okay. Okay, when okay. I was like 14. Okay, you'll have to tell the, some people are, they have no idea. Yeah, what candy yeah. striper. Okay, so candy striper was a, I was a teenage girl who was, volunteering in a hospital setting, right? And so the the uniform, the classic uniform, they don't wear these anymore, but the classic uniform was a pinafore that was pink and white striped. So they got the name Candy Striper. As opposed to Candy Cane. As a can, Right, right, <laughs> Candy Striper. And so I was a Candy Striper, like the era just at the end of... The pinafore. Oh era. wow! Okay. Cool. And um, so, what my job, one of my jobs, was, I would sit in the waiting room and wait for the person to be checked in, and then I would, I would, we would, I would guide them through the labyrinthian hallways to the, their room okay. in the hospital, right? Sure. So it's like, here's your paperwork. Now this young lady will follow, show you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so cool. I spent a lot of time sitting in the waiting room, waiting on Sunday afternoons, as you know, sort of like you know, bad lighting and just, and what yeah. did they have lying around? Reader's Digest. Okay. And so nice. I, I consumed a lot of Reader's Digest that gave me windows into the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's just something about them that I've just, I still, it's just like a little nostalgia thing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, I do. Like if you yeah. saw a dish of candy that was the kind of candy that your grandmother had on oh, the yeah. coffee table, right? There'd be this yep. warm, nostalgic feeling yep. and sort of like... I guess it's still around. It's still around, isn't it? It's Reader's still Digest. I cannot say. I think it is. I, maybe it is. So, well, we hope. So anyway, that that was sort of what I was, you know. Oh, and yeah. then occasionally I would get elevated to getting to deliver flowers. Okay. That that was like, you know. Okay. So it wasn't like changing bedpans, the candy striper. No, they would Thank not goodness. let you do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't yeah. let you. I yeah. want to. They're like. Although no. the most glamorous job that they never let me get because I didn't have seniority was pouring coffee in the coffee shop in the basement. Whoa. That's that, <laughs> what a gig. Know, yeah. Huh? Oh. That just seemed so attractive to me. And I just <laughs> didn't ever got it. It was out of reach. And yeah. Just think now yeah. you have your own coffee maker. <laughs> Pour coffee Listen, listeners, if you are still with us, thank you. <laughs> thank you for going down that oh rabbit goodness. hole. That's got to be ridiculous. How did I even get there? How do we even get there? Start talking about periodicals, magazines. Anyway, the point is that biases, that's what we're talking about today. Oh, newsletters. We're talking about email newsletters. That's how we got there. Yeah, yeah. So the email newsletter that Brian and I both got from the Reboot Foundation had some new articles, some new you know, writing that they put in there. Not and from Reader's Digest. No, not but. from Reader's Digest. <laughs> but so the headline is everything you need to know about the ambiguity effect. And I said to myself, 
wow, ambiguity fact. Mm. I have not heard of this bias. Mm. I was very curious about it. Okay, so let me say something about the names of biases really quickly and, yeah. the, and the names of thinking errors. For some of you really erudite nerds out there, you might call them fallacies, right? Mm. These errors in reasoning. We've talked to about them on the show a lot of times right. before. Errors in reasoning that are subject to something other than a simple mistake. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. So, and so there are lots of names for all these things. And just because we haven't heard of them by a certain name doesn't mean that we haven't heard of them, number one. It also doesn't mean that we're not doing it. Exactly. So for whatever it's worth, the names can sometimes be misleading because I'm not, I'm not saying anything about Helen Buig's organization here, but a lot of updating happens in the contemporary world and a lot of marketing and packaging happens around all sorts of stuff, including, believe it or not, biases and thinking errors. And so there's a lot of you know, calling these things something that is convenient for the person doing the packaging. Funny you should say that because one of them that we were going to talk about today... The packaging mentions error. ...mentions that back in Socrates <laughs> it was known as this, but now it's known as that. That's the thing, and we have so, we have such a long history of this stuff that there's no question you get names, all kinds of names. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, before we dive in, and by the way, a sample of bias that a lot of people may have heard of, or maybe you haven't, is confirmation bias. That's confirmation a pretty, that, bias. A lot of people have heard of that one. So, we, Well, if we have time, let's talk about it. Let's we just talk, talk about, about it now. Well, well, what is it? I mean, because people are going to be out there now Googling while they drive, and then we'll be oh, responsible All right. for that confirmation thinking error. Bias. We don't want to drag you into a thinking error. So a confirmation bias. Okay, so student raises uh, their hand in yeah. your classroom. Dr. Barnes, what is yeah. a confirmation bias? Ms. Payette, once again, you did not do your homework. Is this correct? That's okay. Don't answer. I'll go ahead and save you. So the confirmation bias is... Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I don't do that. I don't do that. But people have done that to me. Thank you, George Curtis, wherever you are. <laughs> you know, when you when You, you wonder, survived. What, toughened you up. When, uh, huh. Like a meat tenderizer. You know, <laughs> when you wonder about wow. the confirmation bias is when I only uh, use information to support my position that already supports my position. So... I, when I go and look for research or I look for evidence, I will ignore the evidence that doesn't support the position that I have, but I will grab onto and elevate the, the evidence that does support my position. So an example would be if you're hearing that food prices are going up, mm. which were was in the news and we're all maybe experiencing that. I'm experiencing okay. that too. And okay. you say, oh my gosh, the food prices are going up. And you go to the store and you focus on all the th prices and yeah. all the foods yeah. that are going up, but yeah. you don't, you conveniently ignore all the prices of the foods that have stayed the same. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is for a lot of, um, this is, and, and this gets used in ways to confuse issues as well, because a lot of times Whatever side, be it the side of truth or the side that is trying to conceal something or, or deceive, those they will all point to information that supports their position. And so we start to look for that as a tactic. We expect that there's going to be cherry-picked information. And, and we be, we've become, I think, in the contemporary world a little bit jaded such that 
we are often very interested in like the quantity and the level of the information rather than sort of the quality ah, in terms of something like truth. That's a really nice way to say it. The the quantity, so so we can get we can get distracted when we're trying to think something through. Right. If someone is sort of laying on a lot of evidence in their favor, and and you're and again it's it's confirmation bias because it's confirming right. what you either want. To right. believe or what you already believe. Right. And because this is one of these articles that we read for today's talk about, we're cognitively lazy people. <laughs> we, right, we are just oh, naturally no. cognitively yes. lazy. We, we, we don't, okay, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let me, you know, let me hear the others. Let me go seek out the other side. So, yeah. so confirmation bias is when we, uh, so if we think of biases like blinders on our thinking, mm. like we don't see everything fully. We don't see yeah. situations fully. Yeah. That's how I think of bias. Like I, it's a blinder. I can't see the full thing. So confirmation right. bias is I'm just seeing and focusing on the things that confirm what I want to be true. Right. And this so. is the classic you know, stereotype about police just looking at the evidence that confirms and not looking at, and not just police, but the judicial system generally, you know, just looking at information that confirms, you know, the guilt of someone, right, but not looking at the exonerating information as closely, not giving that the same consideration. I'm not saying that's what always happens. I'm saying but that's a stereotype that's out there that is an example of confirmation bias if it's happening. Right. Right. So... So we are going to talk about ambiguity effect, but before we go into that, let's just make sure we unpack a little bit conceptually what a cognitive or unconscious bias is. Okay, sure. so so this well, you already did it a little bit, a little bit, but I wanted to I wanted to see what you thought of Christopher Dwyer's definition. He mm. is mm. a PhD who is the author of some columns in Psychology Today. A column called "Thoughts on Thinking." Oh, oh yes, thoughts which, on thinking. Which, because critical thinking for everyone was already taken. Of course. Ah, yeah, so yeah. I remember he had to him, come up with something else. I remember him requesting that maybe we give that up. And we said, if you add a couple zeros onto that sure, offer, sure, sure. He we'll must have come up it. with this. He must have come up with this as a second sort of thoughts idea. on thinking. Yeah. 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 yeah you know, it, it, it's a little. You know, it's not eh, as good as ours. Not as good, but yeah, uh, it's okay. it's, I guess it does. Hey, the job. good luck is all I'm saying. <laughs> so this is what he said: a cognitive bias refers to a systematic error in the thinking process. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. let's let's just kind of unpack this. Systematic error in That's the why thinking it's such process. a problem. So explain what he means by systematic error. Like it's it's part of the way that you think. So okay. if there's a systematic error in a program, in a computer program, then that error will happen every time you try to do whatever it is. It'll show up because it's something that happens as part of that process. And you know, it's kind of I mean, it's not always built in, but it's a it's a part of the background logic of how whatever gets done in that computer program. And it's the same in our thinking. When we go to engage with certain thinking areas, we will encounter intellectual processes. And what I mean by that is, and what we mean by that is that information gets handled. Like we interpret that information somehow. We see the cat, we see the clown, we see the carrot. (laughs) And those things have meaning, right? I mean, we connect the dots in our brain. They have content. Like, I'm not saying we see them all together, but I'm saying whatever we see 
that has a, it's in a context, right? So the carrots in a salad versus the carrots in a field versus the carrots in a cartoon. Like we can, we can make all of these different thinking connections and that's because of our inferential process and that's the way that we think. So if there are parts of that thinking process that will advance the thinking, but they distort it. Like you could just go straight on in the thinking process potentially, but in this case with these unconscious biases we're talking about, when that thinking is moving forward, it gets twisted, it gets perverted, it gets distorted, it somehow becomes modified from what it was before, but we as the thinker don't notice. Right. We just do that. Right. We're, our brain is running on these familiar grooves. Yep. And, and we've grooved over, right? The bias is just, you know, you know grease the way for us. So, yep. so that's why they're so hard and tricky because they're unconscious. We're not aware of them. We, we connect the dots in these ways or the confirmation bias. Right. We, we feel validated by that. We have good information because, right. right. So well, hold on before you go though. And I, it, if you're out there on the critical thing for everyone drinking game, it's, that's a drink, uh, because Brian interrupted <laughs> Patty going to a new topic. That's, <laughs> I'm not advocating any kind of alcohol games. Those are very dangerous. But if you're already doing it, that was that was a drink. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I just I, I I just wanted to talk about you know the, this process. One of the problems is doesn't matter which one we're talking about, and that's why I want to say. I mean, this this applies to all of them. Is that as we've said so many times on the show before, our beliefs lead to our actions. Right. And so if we have beliefs about something, even if they're deeply, deeply buried, that can be part of our thinking process. We talk about these unconscious processes. Right. And so some of the things that we support are a function of thinking that we don't really do consciously. We just this is what we support and everyone around us supports this. And we don't spend a lot of time talking about why people who don't think like us would want to start thinking like us. We just reinforce all the stuff that we're used to. And it doesn't matter what that is, that will create these hidden mechanisms. And if we don't look for them in self-reflective critical thinking, like we're always talking about, we, we just won't know they're there. You can't assume that you're bias-free because you can't notice it. Right. That's, that, that's just not the way it is. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Um, <laughs> Uh, Contributing. To uh, the what's his name? First name again. Christopher Dwyer calls them mental shortcuts. That biases, uh, he says, can can function sure. as these mental shortcuts. Very helpful right? sometimes. Yeah. So he says they allow one to make an inference without extensive deliberation and or reflection judgment. Yeah. Right. And so again, sometimes we connect the dots in a way that's accurate, and sometimes we connect the dots in ways that are not correct. And so part of things so part of when you find yourself wrong you can also go back and go okay what oh that was my bias that's why i didn't that's why i assumed that about my neighbor because i was looking at the car that they're driving and i made assumptions about them based on that car and i didn't even know sure i wasn't conscious that sure. i was assuming that about my neighbor but actually sure. it's not true but i i i had these mental shortcuts that i see 
the kind of car they're driving, and so I make assumptions about them. Right, right. Like, like maybe if you're a thinker out there who believes that women aren't smart enough to make their own decisions about reproductive choice and what to do with their own bodies, maybe that's because of your own bias about, um, you know, the value of women and their ability as thinkers. It's unconscious. Misogyny is built into our culture. Why else would we create a second class, um, you know, citizenry around medical care in this country? Of course, why do we do everything? It probably makes somebody some dollars. But I bet there are some biases in there anyway about the value of women because we don't do it to men. Right? That's, that's true because men are the ones in charge making these, largely often making these decisions. Well, it's not only that. It's because, it's because you know, man is made in God's image, right? And so oh we're reflecting God. God. The pronoun's the same, Patty. Uh, I don't know if you noticed they have a, they have a he, him pronoun. Um, so that's that's in the that's the same, and so you can't limit that stuff. That's whew, super powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. It, it it's is. for everyone. It's wow. Okay, <laughs> you left me speechless here, man. Send your comments to Critical this... Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. We probably need a lot of education here. Yeah. If you're well, thinking about our thinking, you're yeah. probably coming up with some crazy stuff. So I'm going to talk about the ambiguity effect because I a I had not heard it, and b I read it, and I went, oh my gosh, I fall victim to this Whoa! as a thinker Whoa! regularly. How, how intellectually humble of you. I, well, I'm, I like you. Re Don't you hate it when you read something? You go, oh, I do. Ouch. I do that as a thinker, but it's good for yes. you to, get to <laughs> see your blind spots. So let me talk a little yes, bit about this. Yes, I do this. hate that. Okay. So, so they give the example. This was a really interesting example. So Helen Boeig starts by talking about the ambiguity bias by setting stage. She says, the real estate market right now is very unpredictable, okay? okay. And what should feel like a pretty tried and true process and a rite of passage, you know, these days is very fraught, okay, yep. for lots of people right now with the, with the real estate market. Yep. It's fraught with uncertainty and angst. Yep. And she says it comes as no surprise that these are ripe conditions for the ambiguity effect, mm -hmm. okay? So she says this. So let's explore a common scenario. And I thought this was a really good one. She said, when buying a new home, most people obtain financing through a bank. Okay, to get a mortgage. That's pretty common. I did that. Sure. You've done that. Sure. Okay. Yep. As part of the process, the home buyer needs to decide whether to use a conventional loan at a fixed interest rate or adjustable rate mortgage where the interest rate fluctuates with the market. What do you think most people do? So let me just say this again. You're going to buy a house. You sure. need to get a mortgage. Sure. You're with the bank and they say, okay, do you want that fixed interest rate at you know, 2.9 or whatever it is? Sure. Or do you want the ARM, what's called the ARM Adjustable Rate Mortgage, yeah. which will fluctuate depending on the market? What, first of all, what did you choose when it came time for you? What has the lowest monthly payment? Okay, and so they said, well, right now the fixed interest is the one. Is that's that the, the one. one you did? Yep, that's okay. what it was, yep. Well, and when Ed and I have had to buy a house, we did the fixed rate because, for, in your mind, it was like what's lowest... But in our mind, it was like, oh, if we can, if it's the difference between knowing what the payment is going to be because there's a fixed rate yep. 
or not knowing it could go up and down, right? Right. We're gonna we're gonna get rid. We're gonna avoid the ambiguity of the fixed rate, and we're gonna. I'm sorry, of the adjustable rate, and we're gonna go with the fixed rate. Oh right? yeah. Well, that I mean that that went into my thinking too, because that's why I mean for the purposes of being able to make that money, you have to know what the money is. <laughs> right. So, so she says that m many home buyers prefer no no surprise the uncertainty of having a fixed rate even if it's more expensive because it's a safer than the uncertainty of payments that might fluctuate. Sure. Even if that means the payments may go down and save the money because of course the payments could also go up. So right. again, I choose the one that's maybe going to be more expensive versus the one where it's more ambiguous and I don't know, it might go up, it might go down. And she says, but actually over time, she says it shows that adjustable rates don't aren't wildly right um, a variable and create a lot of financial headaches for people so I right. thought that was really interesting because I identified because my husband who's also a he's actually a really good money thinker I really appreciate him because he's more deliberate than me but mm. in this case both of us were like oh my gosh no we're gonna go with the fixed rate well, right? I the mean one and when you know it's predictable sure right yeah so the decision the to world's choose, scary. Yeah, so the de decision to choose the known over the unknown is an example of the ambiguity effect, okay? Mm -hmm. In a nutshell, this cognitive bias occurs when people choose options that have a known probability of a favorable outcome over choices where a favorable outcome is unknown or is unpredictable, okay? But the, of course, the downside of that is I'm running a business. I might not choose the novel, but in the long run, better choice for my business, you know, a, a new software or something like that, because I might not take the risk because I want to go with maybe the older software that's more, more solid or I know I'm more comfortable with but doesn't offer me some of the new features because I'm afraid mm. of the uncertainty of the newness. So there's, there's, she's saying that that's, that's can be a negative impact. Of so why is there ambiguity? Where's the, what do you, it's not in the definition part. So what's ambiguous about it? Um, the unknown. Hmm. So the known over the unknown. Yeah. You know, could be good, could be bad. We just don't know. We don't know. And so, and so that, that lack of clarity there creates right. the ambiguity. So she says, how do you, how do you stop? So how do you stop the ambiguity bias? So then she goes into how you can sort of catch it in yourself. So before I go into her advice, you as a critical thinking expert. Woo. So I go to you and I say, Brian, I am really, I'm not really good at taking calculated risks. I'm really always making the safe choice. Um, and, you know, and it's just, I feel things are uncertain or risky so as a, as what can what can you do as a critical thinker? What tool? What what advice would you give me? Okay, so what would you say to someone who's got caught up in the ambiguity effect? Of I mean, is that person trying to make better decisions, or does that person just want to be? I'm that person. Pretend I'm that person. Oh, you're that person. Yeah. So well, I'm saying to you, I, I mean, more research is the answer. Ah, okay. Yeah, no doubt. Good. <clears throat> if but you want to think about it. When you say more research, I go. Research, that sounds, mm, how do you make it even more like, I say research, but how do you make it sound less like, ooh, research, I don't really know. So, so how do I make it more more attractive to you? Yeah, well, like sure. using the word research, people would go, well, I'm not a mortgage expert, I don't know. 
But there's a critical thinking move in research. What is it? Well, there's a sophistic move I know. Okay. Patty, if you don't do the research, people will think you're lazy. Yes, okay. And Ooh. so that, ah, see, see, I am. and that response, I am. that response might be motivating. <laughs> and so that's a sophistic tactic, right? Oh. Because I'm, I'm not, there's no, there's no observation about whether there's actual laziness going on there or not. It's just that there's a suggestion that this might happen. And so I'm sparking some response oh. that might cause you to motivate yourself, but for not necessarily an evidence-based you know, we didn't go do the research about it. It's just, hey, some people might think this, and you go, oh, right. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So anyway, you'd want to do, you'd want to do some, you'd want to look into it a little more, Patty. Thank I think, you. Information. Yeah. Just, Information. Just, just look into it a little. I mean, if I were you, I'd maybe just go, just go Google it, and maybe just oh, flip through a couple of pages of that Google search and just see if anything is interesting mm. to you. Just click on whatever you want in those first couple of pages and just really? and just see what it tells really? you. Okay. On, on both sides. I mean, I'm saying you should do really both sides. Look at like the adjustable rate mortgage, and then I should yeah. use the fixed Ag rate. You should Google against okay. arm. Okay. Forearm. Okay. Which you'll be careful about the results because you might get. You know, something forearms. inappropriate. You, yeah. I don't know if that's inappropriate. I mean, what? <laughs> forearms? What, what kind of things are you looking at? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. So, Brian, okay. guess what? Yeah. I took your advice. Uh, I went to Google. Uh -huh. I Googled things for an adjustable rate mortgage and against. And now I have a lot of information. Sure do. But I'm very confused because... It's like, I, I, now I see both sides. You do? Yeah, so now what do I do as a critical thinker? Do because you know what's in your interest? Have you decided that yet? Like, do you know what would be oh, best for you? Like in the Now that you know the different kinds of mortgages. Oh, yeah, how do I sift through? I have I mean, to have some criteria Well, I mean, myself, even if right? you just looked at the basic thing, yeah. right? So if you just had like a one or two sentence understanding of each of the options. Yeah. Could you look at those and say, oh, yes, this is the one that I want, and then focus on that one? Or is it is it harder than that? Well, um, yeah, I like that because there is a strategy for when you're stuck and making a decision. You mm. know, there's a strategy, and I call it, I have a personal oh, wow. name for it. Okay. I call trying it on. Ah. So I could be like, okay, I'm going to get an arm, and I'm here are the reasons why. So I like try it on mentally, I like, mm -hmm. commit to it, mm -hmm. and like think through, okay, mm -hmm. so then I, mm -hmm. I sort of spin out like, the implications, mm -hmm. right? And then the next day I might be like, okay, so now I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I sort of try that on, commit to it just mentally and mm -hmm. think through the implications that way. Mm -hmm. And that is actually a good, I have found a good strategy for me mm -hmm. when I'm trying to make a decision and kind of get a wash in information. I think that's good because you never know how the arm's going to look, <laughs> right? And this with this particular outfit, unless you try it on, <laughs> there's not an extra arm area. <laughs> In most of these outfits. And so you would have to try it on. All right. So essentially what Helen Buig is saying and what you and I are trying to say, maybe not as uh, eloquently. Entertainingly is that, is that, as can is be. Is that mm -hmm. you have to, what you need to do to fight the ambiguity bias when you feel comfortable in the known yeah. and the unknown yeah. is ask questions and get more information. Check your comfort tendency to just be, oh, you know what? Let's just go with. Yeah. Let's just go with that. Well, you know? and, and let's just—it's—it's it's simple. It's—it's it's familiar. We're just going to make that choice. I think that's a good piece of advice for some people. I think they might get caught up, depending on the topic, they might get caught up in a problem about realism versus anti-realism. 
Like, is it the case that there are any truths about this topic? Mm. Or is it the case that it is maybe just up to the individual thinker to decide what they prefer? The trade-offs. Well, it's about the trade well, but, right, but, the but in some cases, there might be some real truths that are hard truths that you could rely on when you think about the benefits or the detriments of having this adjustable rate mortgage versus having the fixed rate mortgage. Those sorts of, in philosophy, we might call them touchstones or signposts or any number of other ideas where, where they're, they're places that if, that I'm, I'm, solid on these ideas and they give me some directionality such that if I were to get confused out there in the intellectual wastelands, I could return to those, right? And then have uh. some certainty and maybe begin my inquiry fresh. Okay. Right. And so that might be something for people to do because having certainty of any kind defeats ambiguity. I mean, that's, you want to cultivate certainty and maybe you can cultivate certainty by doing the research but maybe, as you point out, you still end up with a lot of he said, she said, I don't know what all these different people are saying about the topic, right? And so it becomes necessary maybe for us to step back and ask ourselves, are there truths here? I mean, really, just old school, are there things here that are absolutely true no matter which side you're on, right? No matter what your opinion yeah, is. Okay. And then find those anchor points write them down somewhere, and then use those as starting points and, and maybe return points for your thinking. That is, a, that is one way, you know, back before we were talking about the ambiguity bias or whatever necessarily, but that's, that's one way to, you know, to, if you're going off and you're rock climbing on the sheer face of knowledge, right, uh -huh. you might need to hammer in some places some place to, hold to hold the rope. To. Yeah. Because as you leap to the next thing, if you fall, you're going to want to return to someplace stable. Right. And so that's, I think that's the value of this idea. So I really like what you said, Brian. And I want to say that I think that people have different levels of tolerance about ambiguity or uncertainty in different aspects of their life. Absolutely true. Right? Yep. So yep. some yep. person might be listening to this and go, you know what? I totally understand that ambiguity, the ambiguity effect and all that. But when it comes to finances, I prefer the safer option. And then when it comes to making decisions around vacations, I'm just going to, right? I'm just going to, I want the adventure of going somewhere unknown. I don't want too much information. I want to be surprised. I want that adventure, right? So, so people can have different things in their life mm -hmm. that they are that that trade-off of that ambiguity, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's a good point. I think for critical thinking, too, there's a, there's a place where maybe if you're going to be very mm, ambiguous and passionate, maybe in the ways that you seem to be describing, sort of romantic, maybe, that maybe we're going to leave the a lot of the evidence-based stuff behind. Like maybe we're willing to move away from the kinds of intellectual processes that promote certainty. And I just think that that's, that's something that critical thinking probably is not in a great position to talk about in terms of process, but it's definitely a real thing people can do intellectually. Absolutely. And um, this is so interesting because I feel like there's so, 
We so much rely on our comfort zones and context to help us know when we want to take risks and when we don't. Oh, sure, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yep. So um, let me give another example that is relevant to my life since I just bought a car in the last week. Ooh, a car. And, Fancy. And Helen Buig talks about how the ambiguity effect can come into car buying decision. Okay. okay? So right. this is very relevant Let's see to, if... to our lives because you and I yeah. also had an exchange about this car, too, as mm -hmm, well, if I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember. I but, do remember, yeah. Okay, so she said, so let's use an example about how the ambiguity effect can happen with a car buyer. So let's say a car buyer is looking at two cars, an expensive new sedan that comes with an extensive warranty from a dealership versus a considerably cheaper used model off Craigslist. Okay. okay. So someone they don't know, but um, they can get information. They, they can know about the car itself you know, the make, the model, that kind of thing. But they don't, let's say they don't know the person and there's no warranty. Okay. With the ambiguity effect in play, the buyer, what are, okay, so what are the things, if I'm the buyer and I'm thinking about the ambiguity effects, what might, as a thinker, I, how might I weigh expensive car from the dealership that comes with a warranty, a cheaper option from someone selling it on Craigslist? How um, would we, what, how would we... How, what would maybe be the tendency and how would the ambiguity effect come into play um, here? So we might tend to think something like the one from a dealer would be in better mechanical condition perhaps than okay. the one off Craigslist. Okay. We, might, uh, make some, we might make some assumptions about the level of disclosure that we're getting one way or the other. I don't know what the assumption would be. Maybe different people are going to make different assumptions right, well, about which one is yeah. more more forthcoming than the other. Um, maybe there's an expectation that there's some kind of a, a guarantee or a... Um, like a safety net? Yeah, if it's the dealer, maybe you think, oh, you know, how badly can this go? Like, I can always just bring it back or something. Right, Whereas right. on Craigslist, it's like, where did they go? Right, exactly. Okay, okay. Right, so she says that a lot of people, if the, the with the ambiguity effect, a buyer may go with the dealer feeling it's the safer option for all the reasons safer. that you just said. Gotcha. Yes, yeah, safer, yeah. right? Less certainty, uh, less uncertainty. Sure. After all, if the car breaks down, just what you said, they know exactly where to bring it. Yeah. So overcoming ambiguity bias in this instant means that you gather missing information and question the hypothesis that a new car is a safer purchase, mm -hmm. such mm -hmm. as can the seller of the used car provide maintenance records? What do mm. consumer advocacy groups have to say about this particular mm. maker model? Okay. What are the average repair costs for the used car? How much will it cost to insure the car versus the used car versus the new car? Yep. See, so, but here's the rub, knowing to ask those questions. A lot of times people don't know right. that these are good filters. And in one of the reasons, like with the arm and with the car, is that these are decisions a lot of times people are not making very often. Right, these are huge decisions you might be making just very few times in your life or right. a handful of times. Sure. So, it, I think it can be intimidating, mm -hmm. and it can be mm -hmm. hard to know, like what you know. Now, I'm lucky because I have people in my life who are have spent a lot of time in the auto business, so right, right. I can lean into their expertise and get the confidence from them. Right, right. If I had, we do. You and I have a neighbor who's a mortgage broker. Okay, I could say, hey, Alan, you know, like. 
I'm trying to think through this. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. I do that. I lean into people who have expertise, I realize. That's a critical thinking move. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You said when I texted you and said, hey, I'm thinking about buying this car, you said, you asked me a question. I said, um, let's see, what did I ask you about that car? Did I ask you about its maintenance yes, record? Yes, you did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I've had some friends who had similar cars yeah. who had mentioned that there were some, just they, they mentioned that there were some maintenance needs from time to time that seemed out of the norm. Okay, all right. So that yeah. was good, helpful information. So mm -hmm. I went, hmm. So then my dad, who was overseeing the, the selling this car from mm -hmm. a friend to me, mm -hmm. had emailed me mm -hmm. the reliability and safety records from a reputable you know, external party. Mm -hmm. So I read that. Okay. And so I sort of bound like what you said and read that and thought, okay, could I live with, you know, am I comfortable making this purchase? Mm -hmm. Still a relatively new car. It's out of warranty, but still has, doesn't have a lot of miles on it. And I decided I could, I could live with that purchase, but cool. that was a good question well, that we, you asked me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that was useful. It was helpful. <laughs> so, so, all right. So the, the key here from Buig wants to say for the ambiguity effect is to ask questions and get information. Right. Right. And a lot of times, again, I feel like as adults, sometimes we don't like, we don't want to say to the banker, now, wait a minute, adjustable rate mortgage, ver like for me, uh, sometimes what I do when I'm in those situations is I tell the person who is the expert across the desk, I'll say, help me understand the benefits of yeah. each choice. Like yeah. I, I ask them, I mean, sure. now they can still be trying to steer me <clears throat> right. in, the, in what they, whatever, but right. I'll give you another recent example. I'm at the eye doctor. I'm yeah. having major surgery. And yeah. when I say major surgery, it's not major meaning complicated, but it's a big change, which is I'm having cataract surgery. Okay. And so then the doctor said to me, for free, your insurance will cover this version of the surgery, and this will be your eyesight um, result, or you can pay, and this will be your result, mm. right? This, okay. you know, one. Yeah. And so I did the calculus in my head, and I sort of came up with my answer about what I was going to do. And then later I was debriefing with some relatives who have already had cataract surgery. And one of them was like, oh my gosh, you really, you pick the one where you, um, you have to have reading glass, like you won't wear glasses every day, but you have to carry around and keep track of reading glasses. And I was like, yeah. And then the other person was saying, well, this is the one I chose. The other person, well, I chose this. And as they were like going back and forth about the different options, I was realizing, yeah, this is Ultimately, I have to just decide as right. a I have to as a thinker. I have to weigh. <clears throat> sure. Like there's no better option. They're just different. There's sure. two different ways that I. But in the end, the implications are for me to live every day, not you or anyone else. So sure, definitely. I have to. So that was another case where I was like, okay, there's some trade-offs here. I just have to go into it knowing mm -hmm. the trade-off mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and what I think I would want. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, information is where we end up um, getting what we need to make the decisions. Of course, like we mentioned, the the reasoning process can be tainted, but hearing all these different points of view is is probably very useful when we're talking about such a thing. So yeah, but the the trick is again knowing what questions to ask, knowing where to get good information, and then how to sift it through. Sure. So what do you do as a thinker when you get like, you need help sifting through the options? What do you, 
What strategies do you do as a thinker when you're trying uh, to deal with too much information or, or there's uncertainty and you're like, mm. eh, maybe this is just me being, you know, uncomfortable with the ambiguity. Like, no. you know, how mm. do you have a go-to strategies that you use to help? I mean, you? it depends if I have a long time, my strategy is different than if it's like in the moment. Okay. Well, let's talk yeah. about both. What do you do if it's in the moment and you have to make a decision? If it's in the moment, I just continue to insist on asking questions and I try to keep my purpose in mind because I've found in, in some social situations, maybe I don't have to know everything in order to make a decision. Okay, like maybe can sometimes, you give an example? Well, maybe sometimes I want something at a store yeah. and I know that they carry it, but maybe yeah. for some reason they, you know they can't find it or they don't right. have it right now or whatever yeah, else. they have to and order so, it or something. Well, whatever, they have to go look for it yeah. or something. And so operationally, I know that there are a lot of things that are going on with that maybe. And all I really need is the information from them. Like I don't need, I don't need any, like I just need to know the part that has something to do with me. Right. And I need to make sure I'm clear about that and where I need to be and what I need to do and all that kind of thing. But I don't need to know everything about their process. Okay. Right. That doesn't seem... Um, that doesn't right. seem useful to me, right? Um, if it's in the moment, um, I just, uh, you know, often I just try to focus on what would be fair-minded in the situation, what would represent as much as possible the needs of everyone. And then I try to ask everyone who's relevant to this, and then I try to ask questions in that way in order to get to some certainty that I can, again, kind of anchor to until I get better information. So, and I, and I, I kind of work that without explaining what I'm doing to anybody. And that way, what I found is it gives room for a lot of other people. If there are other people who are uncertain in the situation who are also involved, it gives them room to ask their own questions. And it, and I'm just asking usually very specific questions. And so if other people have other issues, then like that, it doesn't all have to come from me, right? It seems to be a way where I can just focus on my thing and stay a little bit out of everybody else's process while still empowering people to jump in and join me. So that, that works really well for me in the, in the short term. I also, if I'm, if I'm trying to figure these things out in the short term, um, I really try to downplay my own knowledge or my own kind of um, uh, useful processes. Like I just tend to try to invite other people to help as opposed to saying, everybody else just go away and give me five minutes and I'll figure it out. Like I rather would just continue to say, well, I don't really know about this and I don't really know about that. And invite people to fill in those really? gaps. Really? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. That shows some nice intellectual humility and buys you some time. Well, it buys me some time, and it also helps me see what, what the other points of view actually think, and it also helps me see who wants to be involved in this and who doesn't in terms of the thinking or the acting. Um, sometimes, you know, especially when it's um, some kind of collaborative work project, a lot of times people can kind of jump in and show where they want to do the work that way. Okay. And that helps me figure out what I need to do then with whatever's left. So interesting. Um, yeah. If it's a long-term thing, I try to, uh, I try to write stuff down. If it's long-term, I do a lot of writing stuff down. I do a lot of like, 
um, doodling kind of and intellectual, just kind of scribbling to try to organize things in my mind. Like organize that in paper as a way to sort it in your head? Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes that's the best work that I do. Like that's like, that's really it. The pro that process itself is okay. That's really interesting. Everything else just fills that in. That's really interesting. Um, that's great that you have so much also awareness of your thinking because when when you are aware of what you need as a thinker or your strategies, yeah, yeah. then you can be more effective because right. you some people can be like, wait, I need five minutes or right. or no, Sometimes, I can decide, yeah. right? right. right. Um, so yeah, um, that's getting more information. That is really, um, in fact, you know, we have a primary election tomorrow and mm. my husband has been asking me for about two or three weeks. He's been asking me almost like every other day, like, okay, well, who are you going to vote for and what's your reasoning behind it? <laughs> That's great. And, I, and so yesterday yeah. I was sort of as sort of half-jokingly says, yeah. wow, you've been really harassing me about <laughs> who I'm voting for. It's supposed to be a professional And finger. he was like, well, I don't, I don't want to accidentally, in, in, you know, vote for some like, you know, you know, Thomas Acolyte, right? Like I don't judicial, like I don't want to. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fair. I said, well, here's how I'm going about and and when I when it's judicial here's a friend who I trust who's in the judicial environment or the mm. judicial conversations locally who gives me good insight well I don't know about him I'm like okay well then you know and then I actually helped him find some sources online because he had trouble I said go to Ballotpedia mm-hmm. that didn't work so but what I really appreciated is that even though I was kind of half teasing him about harassing me like how oh, you keep harassing me about who I'm voting for he was really trying to think through and get away from this ambiguity effect like oh I'll just vote for who you know I'll just vote for you know the whoever has the most yard not that my husband would do that but the most yard signs or so and so likes that yeah. county clerk so I'll yeah. vote for them right yeah. like like again cognitive lazy we want the right. the shortcuts and so I right. really appreciated that he was sure. really being a critical thinker and really foisting that on me like well, let me see your thinking about this well, and I, I and assuming I assuming that, that you're that you're going to do your research of course right. yes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and right. I've done a little bit but I have to right. just tomorrow I gotta I gotta finish figuring out who I want to vote for sure and I it's do look day. I will I will I will say the mental shortcut that I use mm. is I do look at endorsements of organizations that I trust okay so that helps. I do that yeah. I do I have to yeah. admit I do and I that shortcut but it's informed okay. right shortcut I'm okay. not gonna just be like who does Brian like who's Brian voting for I'm just gonna automatically do that like mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. I trust your I like to hear what you think <laughs> but you know well but yeah, and I appreciated I that he was sort yeah. of challenging me i think it's well i think it's terrific that there's so much engagement in your household around these political (laughs) ideas so really yeah yeah i do i do i mean in a lot of cases there aren't i mean certainly you know a lot of people i know care about these things but we need to care about these things especially at the local level so yeah they affect our lives every day yeah they really do they really do um but i also just wanted to remind everybody kind of what you do if you don't do any of this intellectual work like some of you might be out there going well that just sounds like a bunch of long-winded trash and what? Um, i'm not saying they're I wrong hope i'm they're not, not saying oh that. yeah they're saying that yeah they're saying it exactly like that too but but they might also be thinking you know if i don't do this what do i do and what i do is i As rely a thinker, you mean? yeah 
I rely upon emotion. I mean, if I abdicate my reasoning process, I rely upon emotion. I rely upon tradition. I rely upon what feels right in the moment. I rely upon um, sort of what everybody else might be doing in the moment. I rely upon, um, you know, teachings from organizations that I know about and, and maybe have been a part of. And, you know, in some cases, there are very good reasons to trust all these sources, these authority sources, or maybe even my own gut. But to have that be the way that I go through the world is to make my decision making perhaps less satisfying than it would otherwise be because I don't tend to use evidence. You know, I don't, I don't actually use that to get the things that I want in the world. I use these other mechanisms, which, you know, aren't, they aren't as reliable. It's, it's hard for us to get a lot of satisfaction without and using evidence. And it allows other people to manipulate us. I mean, like crazy. Yeah, It's so easy under those conditions, right, if people want to do that. Right. So, right. These, you know, these alternatives are probably not in my best interest as a human being trying to go through the world and get the things that I want out of the world, whatever those things are. Uh, for myself or others, so I probably would benefit from using evidence-based stuff. I mean, that's that's why we are talking about this long-form, process-based information-based, uh, you know, thinking. It is for everyone. <laughs> I mean, it ought to be. What's going on? It is. Folks? We try to make it for everyone. And if you're thinking it's not for me, well, we'd love to get your feedback. Please reach out to us. And on Facebook? Yeah, on Facebook, Critical Thinking for Everyone. This is WFMP Forward Radio, <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky, out of the Hayburn Building, 106.5. We absolutely would love uh, your donation. And maybe your strategy would be if you donate a large amount, you could gain enough control of the board of directors to shut this show down. <laughs> Thus silencing oh my this truth-seeking God. activity. Wow. And I say bring it. I say bring your power. Let's see what you got. Wow. Put some money into the station. Go and donate now. <laughs> and see if you can leverage the board. They can be bought. Everybody can. They're, they're fine people, but they've got a, they've got a number out oh, there. Oh, man. Try to hit it. ForwardRadio.org. I bet you can find an article on Reader's Digest about that. <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of, you know, <laughs> real and imagined scenarios. But anyway, whatever your motive, I guess is what I'm saying. Please donate to Forward Radio and uh, help us get less squeaky chairs <laughs> in our environments. <laughs> These squeaky chairs, we keep switching chairs and they pop back up. I know, like, I know. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, folks, if this oral quality of the show is not as our usual excellence. I bet that this microphone is just is hardly picking those up at all. Really? Yeah, I okay. think I think when we really rock it maybe you get yeah. but I think more than yeah. that, but we, you know, yeah. like what we were doing at the beginning of the show, that kind of thing. But I don't think at this point those little squeaks. Do are people really... want to know about how the sausage is made? As you said, do they want to know what's going on in our environs as we're doing the show? Do you think? You know what? If they do, they should donate to to forwardradio.org. And they could watch us. Well, do they a show? could ask for like us to make a documentary or something about what we do. I mean, that stuff really might be for everyone. <laughs> Even you. Even even them. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in <it> again. <laughs>